everyone. I wanted to jump on before we listen to episode 2 to say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to episode 1 as we near 100 downloads. Your feedback and support is truly appreciated. In this week's episode, I discuss the life and career of one of America's most decorated and successful basketball coaches, John Wooden. As we'll find out, Coach Wooden had a truly special ability to not only develop top-class basketball players and, for that matter, future NBA Hall of Famers, but he also understood the importance of the pastoral side of coaching. Before we begin, I'd like you to listen to the following clip from Coach Wooden's last game as a coach. One, which just so happened to be the game that he won his 10th and final NCAA championship. The clip is from 1975, so the sound quality is less than desired, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it nonetheless. There's a man, a legend, before his time right there. Well, they beat a great club. Kentucky, a tremendous team. Joe Hall's going to start his own dynasty there. But I'll tell you something. I don't believe I've ever seen a team play their hearts out the way you see it. As they say, what a way to end a fabulous career. Well, Jim, I'm extremely happy. Uh, uh, I've had such a wonderful year with working with these youngsters. It's just I've never had a finer group. We haven't had a single problem off the court or on the court all year. And I'm happy that that they could go out uh, this way, too. Well, it was so typical when I came to get Coach John Wooden to bring him over. He said, first of all, I'm going to see my family. Well, uh, they've been with me all, all the way, and uh, uh, that should always be first. I've always put my family ahead of my profession, and uh, uh, I don't believe I can be blamed for that. Coach, let us talk about tonight's game. That's a very physical team that Kentucky had. You knew it going in. You're down in the first half. You came back to have the lead at the second half, and even though you were going with just about six men, your boys hung in there and won it going away. We're in good condition, and I feel and try to... One of my uh, um, theories is to get our players to believe they're in better condition than any team against whom we will participate. And whether they are or not, if they'll believe that, it can help them a lot. And it's always been my philosophy to go with six or seven men until games are won or lost. Well, Coach Wooden, I've been here many times. And I remember one time several years ago, I said, well, John Wooden, what's new? You have just won your 10th national championship in the last 12 years. And it is, of course, your final night. Yes, it is, and I want to thank all those uh, that have watched the game on television because you're basketball fans, and it was a tremendous ball game uh, both ways, and uh, I'm just happy it's over. Well, John Wooden, congratulations thank from you. all of America and basketball for your wonderful, wonderful career, and stay with the game. Thank you, Jim. Thank, thank you. you, John Wooden. All right, let's go back to Kurt. Hello, and welcome to episode two of Think Curiously podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by John McAllister. Today's episode, we're going to chat about the famous basketball coach, John Wooden. And we're going to have a little look through his career and take out some of his meanings from his philosophy that we can apply to life. John Wooden is somebody that we both have in common, John, because we've researched him quite a bit. Um, Over the years of my research, anyway, a lot of his philosophy, as well as it's based in the game, if you listen to what some of the ex-players I've talked to, I've spoken about and the comments I've made about him, it really is about the effect they've had on his life. So we'll probably meander through that at some stage and we'll look at some of the quotes that were there, we'll look at some of his philosophies in a little bit more detail. But before we do that, why don't you let the listeners know a little bit about you? Um, well, Gary, firstly, thanks very much for uh, 
inviting me on to the podcast. It's not this is the first podcast I've ever done, so you're you're the first man to have me on. Uh, my name is John McAllister. I um, I'm a special needs school teacher in my daily life, and also a football coach. Currently, coach with Carrick Rangers um, with their first team, alongside being the interim head of academy there uh, over the past year. So that's more or less. As the podcast goes on, you'll probably get a better feel for me, but that's more or less who I am. Yeah, and what I like about your story in particular, John, um, when you think back about John Wooden's story and where he came from, what what he went through to get to where he was at, he obviously, from a very young age, was brought up on a farm. His dad was kind of, I'm not going to say disciplinarian, but he was the person that gave him a lot of his morals to, to live life and build his foundations. But your story like I said what I like about it was you haven't just come from playing straight into a role at Carrick Rangers as a coach I mean you've built your reputation as a football coach and, and done that at sort of the lower levels you want to say that yeah um, no I started at my local village team I played a bit as a youth I love the game I, I love it even more now today uh, it's everything outside of family life uh. you know you look forward to football and it football just brings people together and it's an amazing game but the thing I found was I maybe had a good understanding of sport and teams Mm -hmm. and my local team actually came to me and asked me would I take on the job despite having no previous coaching experience and that's Mm -hmm. now nine years ago and I've been coaching every season ever since Um, but yeah it's been an interesting journey and I wouldn't change it and I wouldn't change how I've come through because I think that and you're talking about great teachers you know and John Wooden and the influence as we'll talk about here in the podcast of of uh, that people had that he had on people's lives I could tell you so much about so many people that I have met on that coaching journey who who just through simple acts of kindness and genuine care mm-hmm. for you and your development have yeah. made me a much better person and a much better coach I hope so now that you mentioned that, John, actually, I was looking at the book um, earlier on and I came across a quote which I've memorized um, for the last number of years since I've, I've read it. But no written word, no spoken plea can teach our youth what they should be, nor all the books on all the shelves. It's what the teachers are themselves. I mean, that's such a powerful quote, right? Because you've just said that the mentors you've had have from, been from different backgrounds, teachers, coaches, you know, friends, potentially teammates you might have played when you were younger. And I suppose the value in that quote is that you know you don't have to take your inspiration from one source there can be loads of different people that can influence what you do how you think and eventually then if you're a sports person how you perform but if you're a manager of a bank or a teacher or whatever it is whatever it is that you do there's other sources of influence that you can you can take into your performance in many ways i look at that in probably two ways gary um one is the maya angelou quote which says people don't f- don't remember how you spoke to them, they don't remember what you did for yeah. them, they remember how you made them feel. That's one thing, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically what she was saying was it was those personal relationships that mm-hmm. had the, the that had serious impact on other people's lives. Yeah. And I think Wooden and I just love Wooden. I think I think I think Wooden understood that. Um, I think he probably yeah. understood that better than most people. It's clear when you read the book. It's clear when you listen to, you know, Bill Walton or Lee Alcindor or whoever it is that's talking about, about Wooden. 
that he had that night of realizing that yes and we've all come across it and our teacher as teachers as students as players as coaches that you can have somebody with all the wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. in the world but if they can if you can't connect to them yeah. and on a on a on a human level then mm. the chances of your message going across to them and them taking and and also them having the willingness to take your message and make their own of it that's yeah. the most important thing that wouldn't says you can't you're not going to tell them who to be you're not going to tell them what to be mm-hmm. you're just showing them who you are and you're teaching them you're showing them your values and your ideas mm-hmm. and whatever they choose to that to do with the knowledge you've imparted on them is entirely up yeah. to themselves that's it's quite it's quite profound for me because over the last i want to say well before lockdown happened something that i've tried to do in my coaching um is try to soften a little bit because um, we talked just before we started recording about how passionate I am and how, how sometimes I struggle to not get along or work with but understand maybe those who are not quite as passionate as I am and particularly when it comes around to players when you see players with an abundance of talent and you know there's, there's the ability there to push beyond what they can do I can sometimes struggle to relate to that if they don't show that passion but it's an, yeah it's a, and I totally understand that because I think I can I can really relate to that. Mm. There's sometimes you're deep you're deeply frustrated. I find that that's again that's a time when we need to look within mm-hmm. as coaches. I think or as people because you tend to get frustrated and then it becomes about you and, mm-hmm. and the message is lost. Yeah. But I think that also comes from a real deep down care for the for the person being everything you'd like them to be mm-hmm. and you, you, you can see it for them but do you know what that's probably the problem you can see it for them they can see it themselves but once they it only works whenever they intrinsically mm-hmm. understand how it benefits them and again sometimes we just have to step away and know it's almost to know when how much is too much mm-hmm. and when you know how much is too much then as people we need to evaluate well is the pressure I'm applying here is it just not worth the squeeze is this too much and I mm-hmm. think Wooden as well in the books is, shows great knowledge of of how he um, how he managed that he says himself uh, early on in his book that he was quite taught and disciplinarian when he mm-hmm. first started as a coach but when you look at how he handled Lou Alcindor or Kareem mm-hmm. Abdul-Jabbar as he's also known you can see that Wooden actually changed how he um, did some things now he didn't lose his not what you would call non-negotiables and he didn't lose who he was as yeah. a coach as a result of that because it's a two-way journey but what he did appreciate was what we should all appreciate I think in life is that every single person is different mm-hmm. and everybody's previous experience which we're not privy to is different so how you handle everybody has to be as individual as possible yeah but i understand that when there's 20 players and you've got things you need to get through mm-hmm. and we look at it like at times that we have to get this covered but sometimes you have to look at it and say where's the value here yeah and i think wooden does that really, really it's almost well. like you you have to remove yourself i suppose from the situation at times i heard this the term satellite coaching recently where it pretty much just means removing yourself from the chaos of what's going on and can you move away and just observe 
Um, I'm fortunate enough to work with Ollie at uh, Ollie Mullen at Twenties, and that's what he does fantastically well. I mean, he's got a group of coaches that lets him go and coach because he's confident. He trusts in them. He trusts them to do the job. So then he can just watch from afar. He can watch how that player's interacting, or watch how that coach is interacting with that player, and he builds up a really good understanding of the individual. So then, if there's a situation that occurs, he can tailor his approach to to whatever suits that individual, rather than maybe the the go gun ho approach that he that you might apply or might think is is relevant to uh, sport, where you there's a big hoorah shout, go crazy. But in many ways, you need to take that little step back and figure out what that person actually needs. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's can you can you recognise mm. where the areas for development are? Can you recognise where you can best help somebody to develop as a person as yeah. well as a player? It has to be a holistic approach to get the best. I think out of a lot of players, you yeah. will be those guys who just go in and do it because mm-hmm. that's what they do. They're doers. They yeah. go in, they yeah. do. There's other people that maybe need a different approach mm-hmm. there's other players who develop at different times now and there's other people that develop in different ways it's no different than in the classroom mm-hmm. but to go a one-size-fits-all approach you're gonna have a lot of potential talent lost I gonna miss out. yeah but I would agree with that um, and I just draw my own experience like I'm in a job now um, that I can quite honestly say that I don't really enjoy and it's I can see my manager in work try to get the team to pull in the right direction and it's difficult for me to get in that mindset because I can see me as a coach trying to do that and what I would want out of the players to come along with me I'm kind of sitting there going am I the, am I the person that I wouldn't want on my team do you know what I mean <laughs> am I the one sitting in the back with his head bowed and looking at his phone and not interacting and am I the one that's, that's adding that bad sort of disengaged atmosphere to the group and that's a really difficult situation for me because I understand the potential positives that could come from it if I did pull in the same direction but yet I don't feel the connection to the cause if that makes sense you know when Wooden was very good at, at instilling that sort of team spirit and that togetherness and, and so that they're all pulling in the one direction um, and I remember him talking about when he when, when the start of the season came one of the first things that he'd done was go into the locker room and teach them how to put their socks and shoes on properly yeah wrinkles in the socks wrinkles in the socks the yeah yeah, yeah. The thing I took from that as well, because you look at a story like that, and if you're reading a book, and I tend to read books twice, I don't know what that says about me, <laughs> but I just like to, I, I'm not sure I always get it first time right, yeah. so I double, especially if it's something interesting, and what I liked about that was, it's such a small thing, and mm. again, would it work in every environment? No. But what's the takeaway from it? Yeah. For me, the takeaway is, Wooden's attention to detail. Mm-hmm his teaching of his players that preparation is key even the smallest details need to be managed and also showing them that he is a care for their health and well-being that came from something three massive takeaways from something so very simple Mm -hmm. like showing them how to put a pair of basketball socks and high tops on properly could you imagine going to a pair of (laughs) and they changed them and sent the boys right get your socks off, we're going to show you how to put them back on again. It you wouldn't know, work in our no. environment, you know, but, you know, what does work in our environment, if I was going to look at that, and that, and as as people here listening will get to know, I tend to relate it back to the classroom or back to the, mm-hmm. to the training field or wherever, because that's that's my environment, you'll yeah. relate that back to your own, but I might look at that as in, 
talking about using resistance bands for stretching. I might talk about you know importance of a stretching routine mm-hmm. when you go home at night after a game or every morning if you're coming back from injury or recovery. Yeah. It's small things that players have to, or not just players, children in the classroom are no different. If they can honestly believe that you care the way that Wooden clearly, the way Bill Walton talks about Wooden and the way that he... I think he said something along the lines of he was never my friend mm-hmm. he, he cared about me and he pushed me to breaking point yeah. until I was the player I needed to be mm-hmm. and now I'm old and broken down now he calls me his friend <laughs> but the point I'm saying is it's that knack of being able to give a player what they need good and sometimes nice. what they don't mm-hmm. want to hear because behind all that and the key to everything is they knew he cared about them on a personal level. Yeah, yeah. And the difficulty, I suppose, behind that approach in, if you want to call it a non-professional or even an amateur environment, is that a lot of it is built around the respect that they have of you because of what you've done in the game. So, you know, in our in our situation, we can be honest and say the majority of the time, if you haven't had a half-decent footballing career in terms of being on the pitch and playing the game, the chances are when you get into a position of coaching or, or a managing position, there there may be a lack of willingness to pull along in your direction if you haven't done it on the pitch. If you know what I'm saying. Totally, and, and I mean it is a, a that is a, a definite trend if you look uh, at the numbers. But I also think it's funny. I've that's something that maybe when I started out might have annoyed me I'm not sure but it, it doesn't anymore because yeah. the way I look at it is I knew that long before I started coaching football mm-hmm. so that hasn't changed Yeah. and the way I look at it is if somebody I think and this is just based on looking at things the majority of the very elite the very best of the best played at a reasonably good professional level didn't have to be at the top of the game mm-hmm but they also had a really deep understanding of football. But there's many, many good coaches who had a very deep understanding of football and didn't play at a high level. So your journey is different. It's about, I suppose it goes back to John Wooden. John Wooden would say, don't whine, don't complain, don't make excuses. And like, I don't think you can make excuses. I think you have to say, right, well, I'm not going to get that opportunity that way. So how am I going to get my opportunity? Yeah. And that's really the way I think everybody should look at it in any any walk of life, and it's no different to people looking and maybe saying, "This is where I am. This is not where I want to be." Well, there's millions of people every day that would say, "This is where I am. This is not where I want to be." Mm-hmm. And I have been that person, probably early twenties, very much that person. Yeah. But I think, and I go, and again, this is where books like reading job people like John yeah. wouldn't have such a profound effect eventually you just say right well what are you going to do to change that because mm-hmm. that was going to be my next question as soon as you said that as well what is it what what changed then what was the the driving factor to say you know what maybe I can actually achieve this you know um I think throughout my younger age group um, I was probably full of self-doubt um, even when and times when I had experienced success and mm-hmm. I, I, I felt I was always you know like it was luck or uh, it's sort of silly things like that it's hard to really explain but yeah. I didn't have the confidence that way and I wouldn't and don't get me wrong I would I think anybody I would hope that anybody that's met me would realize it 
I'm very much aware of where I am. Mm. I'm very much aware that I have an awful lot of growing to do. And I would always say to you, I'm nowhere near where I would like to be. But yeah. I think I've come to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big difference. I've come to realise that you are never, if you get to where you want to be, where do mm -hmm. you go? Yeah. Um, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy the learning. I enjoy the opportunities. And again, I go back to the mentors and the people. And I teach in a classroom as a daily mm -hmm. life. And I can honestly say the best teachers are not always standing in front of a blackboard or an interactive whiteboard as it is now. <laughs> but it's not... It is sometimes just small comments made by people at the right times that mm -hmm. can have the most, and I think the most profound effect. And if you want to talk about one, um, I did my level one in Larn uh, at the cliff, and there were some really good, really cracking coaches at it. A lot of them were with Irish Head Clubs, and I was with my local team, which was in the Saturday morning league in Ballymena, and it probably would have been one of the lower levels at that time. Although it's a league I absolutely love, um, and I've had. It's been it's a big part of my own personal mm -hmm. journey, but I met Wesley Gregg, the late Wesley Gregg, and uh, I never forget it. I was sort of a wee, very very nervous going in because you see these guys and they've got the tracks and set me they're going to be like amazing, and you're looking yeah. forward to that, and you're looking forward to learning off those guys, but you're also looking and thinking, God, should I be here? And but then I realise now, and I think it's just age as well, uh, Gary, that mm -hmm. that's your comfort zone calling and saying, come back, because you're yeah, out of it, yeah. you know. And, and uh, where's Greg? Just talk to me and just put me at ease. I mean, in a way, I can't... And I mean, I didn't have a sustained period of time with Wes. I probably spent that week and then met him a number of times mm -hmm. afterwards to talk football or to go and watch him coach because he had such an impact on me at that time and I remember doing my assessment the last one and I was shaking from head to foot and it hasn't changed any of the ones yeah, I've yeah. done since the last one always for some reason I think and, you feel there's pressure you know, more uh, pressure build up on it and, and my head was like I'm so close you know uh, that yeah, kind yeah, of way yeah. and I think that goes back to what we're saying about if you force it that's whenever you're not like we're doing. If you try and force a session, yeah. you try and force an outcome rather than letting it flow. And through every through adversity comes opportunity. Yeah. So Wesley, Greg said to me, you know, after it, he says, you know, would I play for this man? Absolutely, I would. Yeah. And he wrote 100%. it down on my wee thing, and I think I shared it a couple of years ago on my thing because since then I've got to you know Chris, his son, yeah. and stuff. He does a, a strength and conditioning of a Korean as well. And, and a lovely, lovely man mm. doesn't surprise me because of who his father was. But the thing was, like, it was somebody like that who felt the need to tell me, yeah. you know, you can do this. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. And maybe, you know, the kind of argument is, why would you need somebody else to affirm that for you? Yeah. But the other thing about it is, when you haven't come through that environment and mm. that background, yes, you have a sporting background yeah. and yes, you've played football, but it was somebody of who I respected as much as I respected him, mm -hmm. appreciating what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. He knew and I knew I was nowhere near where I needed to be. I still amped. Yeah, yeah. But it was just... But you know the fascinating thing about that is we're sitting here talking about John Wooden and the legacy that he left behind. And I'm smiling as I'm speaking and I, I watched you smile as you mentioned his name, but Wes has done the exact same. Just it's not in book form. No. And I wish it was. Yeah. Could you, imagine, could you imagine if he wrote a book like you know 
his quotes. We're talking about some of the quotes that John Wooden's been pulling out here. Yeah. I mean, you could think off the top of your head. I remember up at Dalriada, it was the small side of the game that he was, a small side of game that he was running. And I had a group of, I think it might have been 05s, 06s. I was freezing. It was like November night, absolutely freezing. I had a massive big coat on me, scarf, hood, the whole thing. And these boys, little kids are running around t-shirts and shorts and thinking, when's this thing going to start? And all comes Wes, right lads, line up on the sideline. And he had them back and forth across the pitch, knees, knees, chest, chest, up, down, all this. And I'm going, <laughs> why didn't I think of that? Do you know, why didn't I get them moving? Why didn't I think of that? And it was just, I always say, is like, when Wes took a session, as a coach, a parent, whoever was on the sideline, everyone wanted to join in. Everybody wanted to join in. And, and the most, the, I suppose the, the, the biggest accolade we can give him is that we're talking about John Wooden, the, who his record speaks for itself, and we haven't even touched on that yet. No, no. But we're comparing him and we're saying, well, he's our, Wes is essentially our John Wooden because of the... Yeah, because of the difference. The difference, yeah, the and, and some of the stuff, I mean, I've got his, his um, pro license stuff here in my Dropbox that he gave me. And not only that, what I love about it is it's half finished. Do you know, he hasn't given me the full thing. He gave me a scouting report that he'd done um, on an Irish league team as part of his pro license and part of it's missing. There's diagrams that are half done. Do you know, because that's me, that's what I do. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I go to write a session or I'll write something down. I'll go, right, I'll come back to that and I'll move on to something different. And then I look at the, the first thing I've done and say, what, the, what does that scribble mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Why is there an X there and an O there? That makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> and the, the, the special thing about, about what we just spoke about is that, you know, with John Wooden's legacy, how phenomenal would it have been if Wes had a wrote, wrote a book? I mean, that would just be... That would have been great because it would have stood... The I test of time, really. I would have stood yeah. as a reminder of, yeah. of, a, of a life well lived, if you mm -hmm. want to look at it that way. I look at the way he conducted himself, the way he treated us, and me especially, I can only judge it, again, I can only judge it from my own experiences. Yeah. I can say that he just treated me no differently. No, I think, uh, I think he was, I don't, I think a book would have been brilliantly, would have been brilliant, but I think that as much as a reminder of just how great a man he was and that's yeah. again I go back to that just because it's one of the reasons why I think I kept on going yeah you know yeah but even <clears throat> even the the inspiration that you got from that from, from that one in, from that one moment you spoke about there and was your level one the final session level one you know and uh, Regardless if you had a field that or a pass, that didn't make a difference because of the effect he had on you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he he just made he just made me think. Right, this is where you're really interested, mm -hmm. and that was whenever I thought. That's whenever I think was the start of thinking. Right, what what do I want to actually do with football? Yeah, and that was Wes, and mm -hmm. I mean, he actually said to me then, and you know. You know the way you meet great people and they they come to do a presentation or they're mm -hmm. a, a tutor on your course or whatever, but they're there to do the job. They're wonderful people, but they leave and that's it. Yeah. Wes would said to myself and another coach as well, Brian O'Hara, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we were both on the course and he said, lads, shoot me your email. Mm -hmm. And if you ever want to come up and watch a session, yeah. you can. 
which I'm sure he instantly regretted. Uh, <laughs> Constantly bombarded him. Not him again. Kenny Shields got the same treatment. But I went up and uh, I went up and watched him a few times. And one time I went up and you were talking about the cold night. It was a yeah. better cold night. And he said to me, you know, I got there and he looked at me and said, is your head all right coming up here tonight like this? And I said, I Joe, I, I still actually have a, and I shared it recently on Facebook, a video um, of, it was a 2006 group that I was working with. And Wes was taking the session. And I couldn't have timed it any better. The young boy gets the ball. So I think it was a 2v1 or 2v2 he was doing. <clears throat> and one of the attackers gets the ball. And the other attacker is out in the far right-hand side. So the attacker with the ball is in the middle of the pitch. And the other attacker is in the far right-hand side. The player on the ball looks up and sees the guy in space. But the guy in space makes a beautiful run behind. Now these are under nines, I think they were at the time. And the player on the ball, Wielfie, scoops the ball up over the defender. And Harry comes in in the half volley and nearly scores. And you can just sort of see the... The adulation and and how how that whole situation was there because of how he inspired the players, you know, to go and play creatively and, and just be yourselves. This is nine years old. Like I said, I shared it on Facebook recently, and that's things like that you treasure. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky enough. Like I said, I've got his gear, his, his, his sessions from the Dropbox, but that that video as well. The thing that fascinates me is I'm talking about eight nine years ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. It just shows you how far ahead of his time he was oh. in terms of how academies do things now Brilliant. and how the way coach education has gone yeah. in this country as well. And not just I know we're going back to football because it's that's what we both know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's just a case of the whole thing. I believe it has kind of caught up with where Wes yeah, was and and went beyond that now. And I can just imagine him looking at it now and thinking that's great. Yeah. You know, I can just, well, you, can see it. you know, and yeah. that's just what makes it special. A hundred percent. And it's, it's kind of a nice segue, I suppose, into um, talk, talk a little bit more deeper about the profound influence that John Wooden had and some of the, the most elite players that came through the collegiate basketball system and eventually into to the NBA as Hall of Famers. Yeah. Because him, he, John Wooden himself was also a, a player and, and a coach. Was he not the first or the second person to ever be inducted to the Hall of Fame as a coach and a player. Yeah, uh, I think it was, I, 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 yeah, it was because mm. I think he was an All-American yeah. in, at Purdue University Purdue, was, yeah. and then he was obviously a mm-hmm. winning coach with uh, UCLA Bruce, yeah. but um, he, that again goes back to what we're talking about, elite co- he was an elite player who had a deep understanding of the game, and I think that's the perfect balance, maybe. Yeah. You know, and I know, like that's that's not where I'm mm-hmm. coming from, mm-hmm. but I just think a lot of the time, yeah, you look and you you see that, and yeah. the very top top. But it was big into the small details because we mentioned earlier on about the socks and the shoes, yeah. but there is a video on YouTube, and I'll try and get the link and pop it on under, um, under the the post for this this podcast, where he's talking about he's a, he's at coaching clinic, and he's talking about the ready stance. And he's got a player standing, he's standing beside the player, and the player's got his legs beyond shoulder width apart. And he's talking about the small detail of having the legs a little bit closer together, shoulder width apart, on the balls of the feet, weight forward, legs bent, in sort of position ready to go, rather than being sat back on the heels or a little bit taller or wider. But the, the smaller details, and he, I think he said as well, the smaller details make the biggest difference. I think it's one of his biggest sort of quotes in many ways. But... Um, when you think about a, somebody who has had the record he's had, and like I said earlier, we didn't, we didn't mention it, but for those listening, he uh, his team at, at UCLA went 88 games on the bounce 
winning every game, 88 games. But before that, there were two other streaks, one of 47 wins and one of 41 wins. 10 um, NCAA championships in 12 years. Yeah. I mean, these are phenomenal numbers. The thing I love most about that story is that Wooden didn't actually win uh, an NCAA, NCAA championship for, was it 14 years 14 before years, he won yeah. his first? Yeah. And they asked him about it. And this is where he's so very different to everybody else. Yeah. And that he said he knew he was still doing a good job because mm -hmm. the kids were still getting through college. Mm -hmm. um, he was still giving people a quality of life yeah. and that he had still instilled what he had wanted to instill in his players. Mm -hmm. Which I think is incredibly... But he, even great. after all of that success, the TED talk that he done, I think it's like 17 minutes yeah. long, and he mentions off the top of the head, off the top of his head, of the players that he's had an effect on, that he has coached, and he's just straight off thirty doctors, eleven dentists, this amount of lawyers, this amount of teachers, you know. So that shows you how impo the importance he put on the individual, looking after the individual away from the court. Because he also says that they came to UCLA obviously through a basketball scholarship, but the most important thing was the education, and the basketball came second. And that only goes to prove what he talked about in the podcast, the, the TED talk, where he was rhyming off these professions and the amount of players who've who've been successful outside of the game. Well, that you know that that was wooden, and the thing about him was his definition of success. I think it was mm -hmm. something along the lines of that success is, and I'm paraphrasing, it's doing the best you can, achieving the most you can with the ability that you have. I know it's something much more polished than yeah. that, but basically he believed that. Success was peace of mind and knowing that you could do the best you could with the quality you had. And yeah, it's uh, you look at not every and I think he said it in one of there's a lot of documentaries for anybody listening. There's loads of documentaries yeah. on YouTube and there's loads of books on Wooden and they're really all worth a watch. But the one book that we're quoting yeah, is, is uh, a lifetime of observations and reflections on and off mm -hmm. the court. Agari defines it as his Bible. Interestingly, <laughs> last night I was having, and it's funny, we recorded this pod on Monday and it didn't work properly. And we ended up having to re record it here on Wednesday. And interestingly, in between times, I happened to look on my Twitter and mm -hmm. it's the first time I've been looking on it. And there was Darren Mullen, the Newry manager, mm -hmm. and Jim and Both, it was a picture of the same book we were about, we had discussed on Monday night, and I thought, yeah. It's amazing how those things just happen. But yeah. anyway, no, he, he realised, I think Wooden said in one of those documentaries, not every team at collegiate level is going to win a championship. Mm -hmm. But what is success then for those teams? It's that they turn out to be fine young men. And yeah. his job was to deliver good. He said not everybody was going to be an NBA player. Mm -hmm. He wanted to deliver good men back into their communities. Yeah. Which for, that for him was success doing the best he could with the ability that he had. Yeah, 100%. Um, his, his actual quote is, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you made the effort to do your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Yeah. I mean, I don't, there's not much explanation need, need it in that, is there, you know? It's, if you were asking me my definition of success and certainly what I would tell my children in the classroom or players on the pitch, Yeah or anywhere or anybody I met, mm -hmm. it would probably be paraphrasing wooden simply because and I've I actually have said it to to a young young pupil in the mm -hmm. last wee while who was struggling with certain things and he had worked very hard to, to 
to improve them and I said to him you know it's not about whether you get it right or wrong it's about can you look at yourself and say I gave it absolutely everything I have and I couldn't give it 1% more and I said see if you do that I yeah. promise you it won't even matter whether you got it or whether you didn't yeah. and he came back to me and said <coughs> to me that he felt incredible he felt that he had done really well and mm -hmm. it was because he had put such an effort Brand in it. and he had done okay yeah. but it didn't matter because he had realised for himself and that's what Wooden had always been talking about could he get that message could he give a message to the players that they could then mm. make their own and I think that sums up in that quote it does but it's interesting what you said there about the sort of the process of the hard work and the application that went into that pupil you were talking about okay maybe you didn't get quite to where you wanted to go but you can be proud of the fact that you put as much effort in to trying to get there as possible and in terms of that process for my understanding in recent times in a way is that yes you always want to be constantly looking at how you can get better because you can get better and you can improve those you're working with and then obviously if they have that if, if, if you are able to impart that mindset on them and they're constantly developing themselves and the hope is that then that will spread throughout the team and other players will see that in them i mean one of the biggest things i think from his philosophy and his coaching philosophy is that he says he the teams he coaches may be beaten and you may beat us well but you will never outwork us yeah you know it's that you know what we'll do everything we can with the time that we've got on the court in any given moment to do what we can do but you might beat us that's fair that's sport that's life but you will never outwork us i mean for for young kids coming through and uh i'm not just talking five six seven year olds i mean in fact Roy Keane was on Monday. Was it Monday Night Football or Sunday? Was it? And he was talking about something very similar. I see it, but I saw yeah, you probably seen it. Yeah. Um, and whether you agree with him or not, yeah, I think he did try to say that that motivation was in your DNA, which I'm not quite sure I agree totally with. agree with. But um, there, there's certain elements of it that certainly, but I'm seeing anyway. There's players out there. The modern player now seems to be extrinsically motivated rather than intrinsically motivated. You know, there's the rush to get the picture on Instagram. There's the rush to to share the video of their goal, rather than taking that video of their goal and rewinding it back and saying, "I could have done X, Y, and Z," or "My movement was good," or you know, analysing it in that respect. It's almost like the end goal is what they're searching for. But my understanding now is that the process is the end goal. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, rather than saying that I want to score four, five, six, seven goals over the next number of months, whatever it may be. Why don't you put the focus in to the process and let that process be the continual goal? Always have that to push you on rather than saying, when I get the five goals, that's me. And then we start something different. Because certainly with what Wooden would say himself as well, is that and the most amazing thing about the fact he went 10, 10 championships, 12 years, he never had the same team. Because there was players coming and joining, players who were first years. years that were changing, the team yeah. was changing, and your starting team was changing, changing. collegiate basketball started changing. But, but, but that then also shows you then, yes, as much as he probably is a good technical and tactical coach, but what the environment that he created in the background. The best way I can see it is, I look, when I look at John Wooden and the number of times I've read and watched interviews and read books, it seemed to be that the standards were set out by Wooden. Mm -hmm but they were owned by the players right? and he seemed to show them through trust and through his actions and how he lived his life and how he conducted himself that 
if you do this, this will work. No mm-hmm. different than his father who, who gave him the sentiment into the world by a seven point creed, which wasn't, and again, I think it's quite similar. It wasn't an A to Z on how to mm-hmm. live his life. It was seven simple points as guiding lights in mm-hmm. his life and his philosophy and how he went on, how he would go about his life. And I think Wooden sets those things out for the players, but ultimately he creates and he helps create the environment alongside the players yeah. and the players drive the culture no different to the all blacks where yeah. it's the senior players that drive the culture mm. that's that, that's what i was going to say is that the players the senior players not set up there with we talk about legacy and the all blacks that drive that culture but in terms of more of a grassroots level if you're setting standards and, and expectations in the players but the coach is the person that's constantly implementing those and holding the players accountable then surely there's some, a misconnection there somewhere along the line. You'd want the players to drive that, don't you? You know, if the coaches having to constantly step in and say, "Hold on a minute, that's not good enough. That's not up to the standard. That's not whatever it may be." Then you're not really getting out of it what you want. You know, you need the players to drive it. So if that's the case, then do you get the players buy-in? Do you ask the players to become part of that process? I think it's a respect thing too. Um, I think respect goes two ways and trust. Trust mm-hmm. is so so important. Trust goes two ways for me anyway, and anything I've ever done in my life, especially when I've learned from teachers and, and mm-hmm. lecturers and, and coaches, and whenever I've been somebody who was there to learn from there, yeah. then I felt that if you could trust what they say and you could look at them as the example of what to do, you'd be mm-hmm. more prepared to carry that message out into the world. Yeah. And I think. Wood does that and that he like when you consider John Wooden was working in 19 what 60s 70s LA mm-hmm. you know at a, at a college that started out with very little and during his time became quite well financially supported yeah. but he never lost his touch with his players mm-hmm. because his message was still relevant and I think the reason why that message was relevant was because he understood that if he could get players to buy into it, it wouldn't matter if there was a fresh stream of players every year because the team's identity and their energy Consistent. stayed the same. Yeah. So I read a funny quote. Um, I was in a bit of research there recently on him. So at the end of games, he would purposely keep the players in the change rooms for a lot longer than what they were used to because he didn't want the girls congregating outside and didn't want the players coming out I'm heading off with the girls because he's, he's kind of like you know if I have to get the best out of these players I need them completely focused in the zone and the worst thing they can do as you said in the LA scene is to go outside pick a girl up and go to a party or do X, Y and Z and he knew this he was conscious that this was happening outside and so he kept them in the, in the change room for, <laughs> for a lot longer than they were expecting just to try and offset that temptation in many ways but that showed you the social conscience that he had yeah and it, it, um he, he was very clear about and that, that's the thing I think whenever you're talking about teachers and people that have influenced you I think it's those who believe in their own message you can get to a point where somebody can say something very meaningful, we're all very capable of doing that um, but sometimes those messages change but a lot of players a lot of people in life will remember what you said as well and we'll say well that's got a very different feel to it or mm-hmm. that that's that's not congruent to what is previously told us yeah 
or as I get the impression from John Wooden and the book and the players talking about Wooden that mm-hmm. that never really changed yes there, there was part of evolutions and it's very clear that John Wooden evolved as a person with the times which is yeah. very important too yeah. but his message about values and about work rate and ethics and teamwork and all those things still remains as relevant today as it was then big time big time and um, even just a slight segue onto his understanding of being the best that you can be as we talked around the success quote but being the best that you can be at that moment and not comparing yourself to others and being true to yourself in many ways a big part of it and something that I we, we spoke about briefly on Monday was um, authenticity and being authentic to, to how he went about his his processes and his philosophy and his coaching and his connection with the players. Well, it's funny um, when you talk about that because um, it's actually something I've spoken to players about um, recently and over. I found myself kind of paraphrasing Wooden. Yeah. Uh, actually, not just John Wooden because it's been said kind of... An, it's, I can think of three things basically that come to mind when you mention that authenticity. One was Wooden saying not to get carried away with success because when you get carried away with success your performance will dip mm-hmm. and not to get carried away with disappointment because when you get carried away with perform- disappointment your performance will dip. Stay on a nice even keel yeah. and again I'm paraphrasing but if you look at uh, F by Roger Kipling as we were talking about it says yeah. when you meet triumph and disaster treat those two mm-hmm. foes just the same because what happens is players get carried away with one good performance or people get carried yeah. away with one good thing or more likely something small happens and they tend to focus on that and not on the bigger picture and they really dip and that's where I believe a lot of mental health issues yeah. come from as well and finally if you're talking about authenticity Oscar Wilde said always be yourself because everybody else is taken and <laughs> yeah, I quite yeah, like that and yeah. it's the same as it's kind of it's kind of saying to people you know and I've, I've seen me as a, you're talking about your evolution as a person me I can honestly say as a young man uh, defeats and, and life I'm not talking yeah, yeah. about sport um, things that happened that truly difficult situations that I experienced they kind of at times can consume and ha- maybe did consume me when I was younger and maybe praise I wouldn't say I, I probably was one of those that would have been more negative on myself about mm-hmm. negative things than it would have been a lot of the time I would have passed off praise but either way could be somebody who you know praise has a really negative effect mm-hmm. on but basically what you're trying to say to people is look you know don't get carried away and Wooden says numerous times look we'll not get carried away with one victory and one loss and you can see that and as you rightly point yeah. out the game winning runs yeah if, if you had a team that got carried away with victory you wouldn't go on a 41, a 47 and an 81 winning streak. It wouldn't happen. Yeah. Or if you get a team that won bad performance, you would go on a run of five or six losses in a row. It can happen to any team yeah. anyway, but you could go on a sustained period. So I think that lesson is so important. And I think it, he is very earthy as a coach. He's mm-hmm. very honest and very the every man. Yeah. Even though he's someday incredible, he, ha- he has never lost his touch with people. Mm-hmm. I think... That's a that's what comes across when you see you don't get the impression that 
he really got too carried away with his with himself despite his tremendous success yeah. and you also get the feeling that even after 14 years and no championships at that point he still didn't get carried away with anybody questioning his ability to coach and that for me is an extremely strong mindset yeah huge and it takes the the, the conviction as well and the, the confidence in his ability to go and for that 14 years and probably at that stage the college that he was you know, probably didn't have the expectations placed on him but there's still being pressure because he was, he was in a paid position and he was there to bring success but he says um a quote from the book is do not let others uh influence do sorry do not let what others can't do influence what you can do you know so don't don't continue com- continually comparison compare yourself to others or let their comparisons of you to them affect what you can do um which I mean, if we if we speak briefly about the time we met, yeah. um, we've only known each other a short space of time. No, but um, um, again, ironically, the person that introduced us uh, was Gary Boyd, and obviously Gary was a big friend of Wes, and I got to know Gary through that, and mm-hmm. then as a result, I got to know you, and you've been influenced by Wes, and, and so those kind of things, those relationships, yeah. But as I say, we haven't known each other for a long time, but we just happened to be talking football or talking what we're, yeah. our interests. And, and went on from there and ended up doing this pod so yeah. it kind of yeah but it, show, it also then shows you the the reach and the effect that that call it a Wes network if you like yeah. you know with Gary me and you and a few other boys are on that chat too you know yeah. Sam up Sam. in uh, up in Bally Bally Clare so um, his reach has been so profound just as much as what John Wooden's reach has had but if we can just keep with that theme on the of authenticity just a little minute and, and think about being authentic but also making use of the time that you have because I was on my previous podcast, sorry, episode one, was with my cousin from uh, Carpe DM Clothing. And in that, obviously, the Seize the Day motto is about trying to pretty much do that, make the most of the moment that you have. But I came across a very interesting documentary, must have been about 10 years now, called The West Memphis Three. Um, (laughs) Just to warn you, if you do watch it, uh, it is quite quite harrowing in terms of the story that it tells basically these three kids were were abducted and it was it's all about the police search and investigation to try and find um these these abductors and, and eventually these these murders of these of these kids but the story is absolutely fascinating because what the this, the journey of the police go on they're under so much pressure from such a small community to try and find um, and convict these killers that they concoct a story and what they do is they change the narrative to suit these three kind of outcasts of society. Um, and they basically yeah. pretty much frame them of, of the murders of these kids. But they spend something like 26 years on death row before they're released. And before they're released, they have to um, admit what's called an Alfred, plea, an Alfred plea, which is basically where you admit to the crime. It closes the book on the, the crime and nobody else can be... Uh, tried for it so it's pretty much saying yes we done this we accept that we done it you're going to let us out but we also know that you, can, you can't actually go after the real criminals now because we've admitted to it but this guy Damon Eccles on it and he's kind of like a link, the ringleader and they, they, they pretty much say that he's a Satanist and Satanic and he has all of these uh, emo musics and he, he walks around all dark clothes and stuff so he fits the, the, the bill I suppose for a leader of the group uh, and he's on death row and he, he wrote it says yesterday is just a memory tomorrow is just a dream if the clock told the truth it would just say now 
know, that's somebody in death row writing that. But what I'm saying and how I'm comparing that to what John Wooden would say is that in terms of his definition of success, it's, you know, use the moment and the time that you have to do the very best that you can do at that moment because you never know what's going to happen. You can't rest on yesterday's work because yesterday's work got you to the point that you're at now, but you can't just stop there. You have to continually keep going. So if you think about him and the evolution that he's had to take over the course of his career to continually have the success that he's had, and even when he retired, to have to, to go at 78 year old, 80 years old and travel the country and talk about it and have still have that enthusiasm that enthusiasm for so long. Up until he was 99, he was still doing TED Talks. You know, he was making the most of the time that he had, irrespective of what that uh, what the activity was. He was just willing to make the most of it. Um, and I think it's quite relevant in 2020 with what's had the lockdown. Obviously, people have been new skills have, have chances have been have been there to, to create new skills and to try and get involved in in new activities and i suppose that the biggest part of that for me and when you look at what what john wooden had done over the course of his career was that he would never stood still there was always next next ball what's going to happen next and how can you continually keep that process going um one of the fascinating things about him was the out-of-state players he very rarely if any i think went and recruited players that are from out of state. Players did play for him who came from out of state, but he never went and physically recruited them. They came to him because of what he had created. And um, when I relate that back to the story of West Memphis 3, it's that every time he went on the court, he made this absolute um, effort to be the very best he could be so the players could be the very best they could be, which eventually then grew into the culture we talked about earlier on. I hope that you've enjoyed the podcast so far. And for the closing 10 to 15 minutes of this episode, you're going to hear John speak passionately about Coach Wooden's seven-point creed. The seven-point creed that Coach Wooden's father Joshua gave to him as a boy and which he kept in his wallet throughout his adult life. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy. No, Gary, so what, what I wanted to come across was, um, so it's just something I have in my classroom wall. Um, mm-hmm. And I, even, funny enough, even whenever it was beginning on my teaching and my coaching journey, I tended to put things up in the changing room, motivational pictures or posters or whatever. Um, but this is one was written by John Wooden's father, mm-hmm. um, and he wrote it and he gave it to his son as his son embarked, I think, on college. And it's just seven things. Um, and it was the first one was be true to yourself. The second one was help others. Third one, make each day your masterpiece. The fourth one, drink deeply from good books, especially the good book. Five, make friendship a fine art. Six, build a shelter for a rainy day. And seven, pray for guidance and count and give thanks for your blessings every day. And you think about that, it's something so simplistic Mm -hmm. that his father wrote on him. And I remember there was a, a business, uh, a business guru who wanted to meet Wooden, and eventually he met Wooden, and he said like the aura of Wooden was amazing, mm-hmm. and he knew he was so lucky. And he said the one thing he wanted to achieve from meeting John Wooden was he wanted John Wooden to ask him to come back again, and he said he he spent an hour talking to John Wooden, and he decided that he originally was going to ask him could he come back, and he said after an hour he said. I don't feel that I can ask this man if I can come back because if I come back 
I will be taking up somebody else's time. But if he asks me to come back, I'm going to come back. Mm-hmm. And that was how powerful that our conversation yeah. was. Yeah. And he said, he looked and he said, to John Wooden said to the man, he said, do you know what this is? And it was a wee rustled up piece of paper in his wallet. Mm-hmm. He said, is that yours? being somebody keen to impress as we all have been at different points in our lives he said, is that the seven point creed and he says it is and you know I read it every day and he said it was he was just blown away wow. by this was you know 80 plus year old John mm-hmm. Wooden explaining that he had never forgotten a piece of paper with seven lines on it his father had given him going to college but when you think about each one be true to yourself you think about John Wooden talking as you what was mm-hmm. the previous quote about uh, character um, and about don't get carried away with what others can't right, do yeah. don't let what others can't do influence what you can do again be true to yourself so mm-hmm. again he took that and again is that a culture did his father create a culture mm-hmm. in that home by giving a message and allowing John Wooden to make that message mm-hmm. his own help others I think um, he also I think he said himself that the greatest thing that you can do is to do something for somebody else mm. he said you know and if you look at the Christian faith which was very important to Wooden um, which is a, a fundamental is to try and help those in need and I think Wooden lived that life he mm. did spend a lot of time it wasn't just about star players it could have been for a lot of other coaches but it wasn't just for him as you say the talks it's about the dentists and mm-hmm. it's about different people um, make each day your masterpiece I love that one because again I have this in, in my classroom wall and it's basically to say yesterday might have been a bad day we've all had them folks uh, but tomorrow is what you decide it is mm-hmm. and whatever you decide tomorrow's going to be you know he had that drive to get up as you said earlier Gary and get up and start again a day mm-hmm. and, and decide what next for me mm-hmm. he was never standing still Drink deeply from good books, especially the good book. We know John is obviously very spirit. John Wooden mm-hmm. was very spiritual. I think Wooden actually had leanings towards a kind of Zen Buddhist approach as well. You, you get the feeling that, and again, I think it was down to having a deep faith in what mm-hmm. who he was, his spiritual life, and what he was trying to achieve. He was looking for enlightenment to find what his true purpose was, mm-hmm. and that's what I like about that kind of Japanese culture as well. Uh, and I say ancient Japanese culture and also probably Greek philosophy as well whereby it's people just wanting to find the journey where to find what is enlightenment Mm -hmm. for them it's growing in knowledge it's knowing that you have lived a good life and I think if you look at that very basically the more that you read and the more that you try to develop and learn the better you're going to be Mm -hmm. and then he said make friendship a fine art and that is basically look after your friendships. Wooden said, um, and one of his things, uh, friendship, he said, if, if people are asking you what you can do for them, that's not my idea of friendship. And I get that from his coaching as well. Yeah. He, he was demanding, and you could hear at times in it. But what I laughed at was there was a documentary, and he's telling the guy, like, I told you to go central. Now he's saying it in a, in a firm voice, mm-hmm. but it's so polite. But the message is so clear and resolute whereas I think if it was a modern coach or it may be us in the heat of the moment it's delivered in a totally different way and it loses its value Mm -hmm. and he just had that knack of making sure that they realised he was there for them and they were there for him it was a two way thing 
Um, build a shelter against a rainy day, which was just his father saying, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." You know, yeah. don't, don't, uh, don't risk absolutely everything without knowing exactly where you are, having done your homework, being prepared, and yeah. that's again be prepared build your shelter for a rainy day and again you look at it it's a message from his father wouldn't took it mm-hmm. evolved it and perfected it as we do you know i think picasso said a uh, great artist steal you know and we are all stealing from i look i know you and i know that i know myself and a lot of the ideas are taken from other coaches and we make of it what we want to try mm-hmm. and make of it um and that's probably um, probably digressing a bit but the idea being always be prepared always do your best Mm -hmm. and lastly what's another one i think so important pray for guidance and count and give thanks for your blessings every day i think the bit that takes me about that as well as pray for guidance for for christians as to go and prayer but for a lay person or for for somebody of any other religion or for the everyday person that's spend some time being good to yourself and thinking about what you need and mm-hmm. focusing your mind it's no different to meditation or or sitting just with a cup of tea like i do some mornings in the quiet on a sunday morning when everybody's still in bed and looking out at the garden and thinking right what do i want to do what's on my mm-hmm. agenda focusing your mind on what you want to try and achieve and what i love about it is as well as give thanks for your for the things that you yeah. have yeah. because i think that's the thing that that wouldn't gets me like you think he would be all about the trophies mm-hmm. right and i think we could all get and again it's don't get carried away with praise don't get carried away with disappointment i think we could all get hooked on the drug of winning you know yeah. it's so possible and so you can see it like people just it's the trophies mm-hmm. but the thing that you could tell he always gave thanks for was his family and his relationship with Nelly Riley and the fact yeah. that they were married for their whole lifetime more or less together and, and that she was always there for him and that they were strong together mm-hmm. and it's some, I think sometimes we're always chasing and I do I think yeah you do want to chase what you want to achieve and I know personally like I, as I have said I always want to try and improve mm-hmm. and I, I think I have long ways to go on many things in my life but sometimes you do have to sit back and say do you know what i'm very lucky for what i do have mm-hmm. and i think those seven points and i know they weren't even written by john wooden they were written by his father joshua yeah. wooden yeah. but those seven things i think I, I have them up in my classroom for a reason and i do tend to explain them to some of my children in my class as well when they need wee bits of reassurance as to say like if we do all if you did those seven things like you would probably have a quite a good life whether you were wealthy or not or what, mm-hmm. successful in terms of how the world sees success yeah. would you be a success in the way John Wooden sees success I think you would wow because <laughs> I mean I, it's a little bit a wee bit emotional after that like because it's proper you know it's, it is proper heavy stuff in many ways but it's it's so relevant isn't it I mean just the, the inspiration that you can take from it and they're as you say they're just simple simple steps simple things you can do and the, the thing that's resonating with me from that is when i had my chat with a guy from carpet dm they, they talked about this idea of calmness in the chaos and you talked about there you know taking a minute for yourself a cuppa and just sort of grounding yourself and you know taking your taking the time to look after yourself mentally just getting away from what's going on in life because that can be so difficult at times and you can have so much in your mind particularly if in, in our cases, I mean, 
you're slightly different in that you've got kids and a family and a job and you coach I just see my one job as coaching I don't even see my, my day job as a job I mean I get a wage at the end of the month and that's really what I do uh, but my coaching is my main focus but at times I can get so caught up in it that I can get frustrated because we've spoken about this before um, you almost second guess yourself because you get so so intense and it's just knowing you know what I can just take a step back here let me just chill out let me go get a, a good book like Wooden's or cup of tea anything just, as a, just chill as a young coach I would have been and I say I'm still still young but I, would, I started coaching at a young age uh, younger than most people at that time had started coaching I think I started 25 and 26 and I would have been exactly the same but mm. what I've realised is that if you hinge your life on only one thing and that one thing goes wrong or doesn't go the way you want it going to go then you don't value your life and you don't value yourself which is a very tricky place to be and I think you have to find out who you are as a person mm -hmm. and you also have to have other f facets of your life that you enjoy and things that have a positive impact on you as a person yeah. and I think sometimes having conversations with people that are completely different to where mm -hmm. I'm from or, or my experiences I really enjoy because it makes you reflect and I think having been for me a lot of time especially in my late teens it was being able to read a book and very lucky that my aunt who was a big influence in my education and that she encouraged me to read and I wasn't a natural reader mm -hmm. and now I would say I am but it's more just a case of you do need to ground yourself just as a person and I'm not talking about sport or I'm just talking about life mm -hmm. sometimes we are so determined to get something or go somewhere that we miss all the things in between you know mm -hmm. so the journey is it's better than a destination in many ways yeah well it's, yeah. it's, it's um, there's a book by Dan Melman called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior which mm -hmm. is a it's a more it's kind of for young latter teenagers upwards and they made it into a movie as well but um, does no justice to the book really and that the book was I read it at 16 and at that time it had a big influence um, but there's two sort of taglines in the book and it is how often do you stop to hear yourself breathe which I thought when I read it the first time what is this and again my aunt would give me this book so I was determined to read it out of sheer politeness yeah. um, and I was like what is that and then as time goes on I realise it's actually slow down and live in the now live right here don't get carried away with what you haven't done don't get carried away that you aren't where you're supposed to be and yeah. I, I'm at this age and I should have done this and really that's not important what's important is yes want that yes mm -hmm. plan for that but also appreciate where you are and what you have mm -hmm. because if you can't appreciate what you have how are you going to appreciate what you're going to have next? Very true. And I think that's a that could potentially be the ending of the podcast, what you just said there. Because um, that, that was, I mean, that conversation that we've just had, I say conversation, what you've just talked about in your thoughts and feelings, and the way that, I mean, the book's not even open. No. The book closed. <laughs> So it's not as if John's sitting here reading word for word or he's no prepared notes or the book is sitting closed and that was his interpretation of it and it was so heartfelt and so emotional. I could tell that the way you're the way you're speaking, like you've and that's the power. You know, that that, that that's forget about 
the NBA stars that he's, he's he talks about. Oh, sorry, they talk about how they've changed his that he has changed their life. You're from you're from Ballymena, Northern Ireland. You know you you exist. However many years after he's passed, his legacy is just. I mean, I cannot stress enough for anyone who's out there that, regardless if you're a football coach, basketball coach, anything, if you're just whatever you do in life it doesn't make a difference if you want to be if you're a person who just wants to feel slightly better about the world they're in mm -hmm. just read one yeah and as you said he, yes a lot of the stuff he talks about is is quite heavily focused or founded in his foundations and his faith and his, his spirit and his Christianity but you don't have to be that way inclined to even read it because there, like I say there's so much worth in his words and would you say that what you've just spoken about there and I and I I totally think it is. Is that your biggest take-home message from any of the research that you've done on Wooden? What you've just spoke about? I would say so. Um, I think, the, yeah. In a nutshell, yes. I think. I think the the parts of Wooden that I love is he married being a successful coach with being a very good person, mm -hmm. and I think the take-home message from that is think about the influence you can have on anybody else in any walk of life you mm -hmm. can change a life you can make a big difference to anybody's life based on how you approach that person in that situation and it's not a wonderful power to have as a human being that you can help somebody else and again you go back to the creed help mm -hmm. others be yeah. true to yourself i think if you take nothing else home that's what you should take from this John, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> it really has. It's been emotional in parts. Um, it's just phenomenal. I mean, even just to sit here and allow John Wooden's story to bring forward the amazing memories that we have of Wes as well. Yeah. You know, it, for, for you listening, we're, we're sitting in John's kitchen. We've had a, a cup of tea. It's, I mean, it's not glamorous in any kind of way, but it's it's been a conversation that has just filled me with so much motivation to get back onto the pitch as well but but also taking time to reflect and understand that the importance that I probably well I knew that Wes had on me but maybe I didn't appreciate until we've had this conversation No I think I, I don't I always would like that's the one I don't I don't think I have many regrets because I think there's very little you can do about things that have been in the past because that's where they live and you can choose to live there or not as you wish I choose to live now um, and not then which is too, it's alright so mm. that's the benefit of the 30s and beyond you get yeah. a little bit wiser but um, I think the thing and going back to Wales is, is really simple the one thing I hope that he and I hope that he did see and I hope that if depending on the way these, the world works and spirituality and all the rest I hope that he does know or did know that he had such an impact on so many people mm -hmm. and that for others that wasn't success because he didn't win I don't know a senior cup at something as a manager mm -hmm. or X, Y, Z but he actually probably was a massive effect on where those dominoes fell yeah. for those other people mm -hmm. and I think that's what everybody has. To, if you take Wes and you take Wooden, uh, the two things you get is that they recognise the benefit they could have on others and how they could impact others' lives and how well they did it. So yeah, totally, totally get that. Do you know what? That's it's just nice to think about them again. Yeah, it certainly is.
Wow. <laughs> Honestly, like there was tears, no, almost tears in my eyes. That's just. Great man. Oh, Jesus. He was a great man. Phenomenal. That's what, that's what uh, Alex Braun said to me was that uh, you had, uh, that he remembers you when you were young getting into coaching, when you were really young. Me? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. 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 Was that not right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He said he remembers you and he remembers you standing, watching Wes. He remembers that. You set me off here now. <laughs> no, but he, no, I know, right? But he told me that's a trail. And he said, like, I was talking about you and saying, like, we were thinking of doing a pod and I was a bit nervous about it. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, he said, uh, look, don't worry, and all we were chatting about you and I had said about being down at Corian and, and us doing about bits and pieces together and stuff. And he said, look, he said, I remember, he said, it doesn't surprise me that Gary has done as well as, as he has done and as coaching and went on to coach the 18s and, and things and his detail because when he was very young, he used to go down and even he was just picking up cones, he was always watching and he used to watch Wes and I said to him, there are not too many better people you can watch. And it's just funny that, I, that's the thing I take as well, is that we got to know each other through somebody I met through Wes. I met you, you had spent a lot of time with Wes and without Wes I wouldn't have carried on coaching, coaching. probably to meet you to yeah, that yeah. to happen. Yeah. You know, that tells you how, what an impact. And the fact that a young player like Alex Gone, who's only 20, mm-hmm. early 20s, remembers Wes and remembers you as a result of that. Mm. And your attention to detail even then, and how those things come full circle. Yeah. And again, is that not, is that not the journey? Is that mm. not what's important? I think it is. 100%, 100%, yeah. <laughs> He's nearly got me going here with that story. I coined my own definition of success in 1934 when I was teaching at a high school in South Bend, Indiana, being a little bit uh, uh, disappointed and delusioned perhaps by the way parents of the youngsters in my English classes uh, expected their youngsters to, to get an A or B. They thought a C was all right for the neighbor's children because the neighbor's children are all average. But they weren't satisfied with their own and would make the teacher feel that they had uh, uh, failed or the youngster had failed. And, and that's not right. The good Lord in his infinite wisdom didn't create us all equal as far as intelligence concerned, any more than we equal as far as size, appearance. Not everybody could earn an A or B. And I didn't like that way of judging. And, and I did know how the alumni of various uh, schools back in the 30s judged coaches and athletic teams. Uh, if you won them all, you were considered to be reasonably successful. Not completely, because I found out uh, we had a number of years at UCLA where we didn't lose a game, but it seemed that we didn't win each individual game by the margin that some of our alumni had predicted, and quite frequently, I. <laughs> Quite frequently, I, I really felt that they had backed up their predictions in a more materialistic uh, <laughs> uh, uh, manner. But I was true back in the 30s, so I understood that. So I, I, but I didn't like it. I didn't agree with it. And I wanted to come up with something that I hope could make me a better teacher and give the youngsters under my supervision, whether it be in athletics or in the English classroom, something which to aspire other than just uh, a higher mark in the classroom or more points in some athletic contest. And I thought about that for quite a spell and I wanted to come up with my own definition. I thought that might help. 
and uh, I knew how Mr. Webster defined it as the accumulation of material possessions or the attainment of position of power or prestige or something of that sort were the accomplishments perhaps, but in my opinion, not necessarily indicative of success. So I wanted to come up with something of my own. And I recalled, uh, I was raised on a small farm in southern Indiana and dad tried to teach me and my brothers that you should never try to be better than someone else. I'm sure at the time uh, he did that, I didn't, it didn't. Well, somewhere, I guess, in the hidden recesses of the mind, it popped out years later. Never try to be better than someone else. Always learn from others. And never cease trying to be the best you could be. That's under your control. And if you get too engrossed and involved and concerned in regard to the things over which you have no control, it will adversely affect the things over which you have control. Then I ran across a simple verse that said, At God's footstool to confess, a poor soul knelt and bowed his head. I failed, he cried. The master said, thou didst thy best. That is success. From those things and one other perhaps, I coined my own definition of success, which is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. I believe that's true. 